0: are listening to the Historical Bookworm Show for lovers of history and readers of inspirational fiction. Join your hosts, Kylie and Darcy, for author interviews, a pinch of the past, and special bookworm reviews. Hi, this is Kylie Woodley and Darcy Fournier.
1: On this episode, Kimberly Woodhouse joins us for a chat about New Year's resolutions, One Million Miles with Kim, future writing projects, and her latest release, A Mark of Grace. Our Pinch of the Past features a Temperance League for Children, which was developed in the 1800s, and our book review is brought to you by Angela Bell of the Historical Bookworm Team, reviewing The Debutantes Code by Erica Vetch. Kimberly Woodhouse is an award-winning, best-selling author of more than 25 fiction and nonfiction books, including the Heart of Alaska series and the Treasures of Home series. Kim and her incredible husband of 30-plus years live in the Poconos, where they play golf together, spend time with their kids and grandbaby, and research all the history around them. Kimberly Woodhouse, welcome to the Historical Bookworm Show.
0: Thank you
2: so much for having me.
0: We are so glad to have you back, and I am personally excited to have you back because I missed your last interview. But we're back with another cool book about the Grand Canyon. But before we get into that... Do you believe in New Year's resolutions or do you approach goal setting in a different way?
2: That's a really great question. Um, I actually, <laughs> depending on what year it is, no. <laughs> I am a big planner. And so people who know me really well, like my husband, don't get offended. He calls me anal. He says I'm OCD. I literally have a planner for my planners because I, it's just how my brain works. Right. And Mm. he also teases me and says, I will organize the snot out of anything. We're from the South. So we say stuff like that.
0: (laughs) That sounds like my dad. That sounds exactly like my dad.
2: So I am very big into goals and making a year plan and a three-year plan and a five-year plan. And I love God's sense of humor because he made me this way and he created me this way and things never go by plan, but that's all right. I've decided to do them in pencil from now on, (laughs) but I do make um, big goals for each year. And this year was a really great year for me because I have been sick since October. So all of October, all of November, all of December, I was battling one illness after another and handling things with some other family members and just a lot of stuff happening and I got really far behind but I did have a lot of time to sit and just think and pray about what my goals, you know, were going to be for this coming year. On top of that, this year I'm going to turn 50. So I thought, okay, I've really got, <laughs> I've really got to tackle and make some great goals for me to finish by my 50th birthday. And long answer for that. But yes, I do love to make New Year's resolutions and I love making goals.
0: That's cool. I think my personality is probably almost the exact opposite. Usually (laughs) I set like maybe one or two goals for the new year, because if I set any more than that, they will totally fall by the wayside and I will just give up. But I see people with their planners and I'm like, that makes so much sense. Maybe one day I'll get there.
1: Yeah, I'm trying with planners. I just bought a good sized planner and I'm keeping it in the kitchen. And I told my family, I was like, guys, we've got to put our appointments on the calendar because I have teenagers now. So they're like, oh, I want to go to so-and-so's house. Oh, I want to go to this basketball game. Oh, I want to go to the coast with my cousin. I'm like, okay, so you got to check with me and then we've got to put it down. If someone has a birthday, I need to know that I have to go shopping for them earlier than the night before. (laughs) because you know how teenagers are. So we are trying with the family planner. I have like schedules and lists and stuff, especially for the podcast and my writing. But that's oh, I've just never been able to really like I'll get these planners, these nice, fancy planners, and I'll use them for like a month. And then they just disappear. They just, I don't know what happens to
0: them. (laughs) (laughs) They fall in the black hole. Yes. Yeah. So what's
1: the best advice that you could give about time management and balance as an author, but also as a mother and wife?
2: That's another, man, you guys come up with great questions. I'm so impressed. That is really good because Uh, Several years ago, the word that I had for the year was balance because of all the different things in my life that I juggle. And right now I am in that sandwich generation, helping to take care of my parents, trying to make sure I'm a good and decent mom and still present for my adult children and now have a grandchild. And so there's a lot of balancing to do as an author. And I think authors, especially because we're creative people, The majority of us being creatives, we get distracted very easily and squirrel and off we go. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh man, we can get distracted with research. We can get distracted just looking at pretty pictures for the cover. Oh, this would be nice. Just so many different things and discipline is a part of it. So that's one of the reasons why I love planners is, and like literally there's multiple ones. So I have one that's just for my writing and it's my word count, my deadline, my editing schedule. So that is the month where I'm looking at it and it will have each day, how many words I need to write. If I need to be researching, which book, if I need to be editing, which book, how many hours need to go into that. If galleys are coming up, all the different things that are pieces parts of our author schedules and Writing in pencil is really good because sometimes life happens and you have to, let's add a thousand extra words to tomorrow, or I'm going to write extra today because tomorrow I need to go do this. And understanding that life will happen, but it is also a discipline. And so for people who are creatives and they're not organized at all, or they don't have any discipline, I've helped a lot of those people and like have done classes for conferences and things because you can do it and that's the thing most people get overwhelmed if this isn't their norm right if they're not used to doing this and it can be done i tell everybody it's like you don't have to have the organizing gene to be able to do this but giving it over to the lord and just saying okay i need to be diligent for you father because i want everything that i do to be done to the best of my ability for the glory of you so help me to be diligent help me to be disciplined help me to be balanced and learn how to do this so It can be done. It can be learned. If you are not an organized freak, I guess, (laughs) like I am, but it also is being willing to be flexible and that's a huge part of it because we have to be flexible in life and as moms, I'm also a pastor's wife. And so there's a lot that goes along with that. If somebody's in the hospital, if there's a surgery, anything like that's happening. Time management, I would just say, learn what your boundaries are and start small if you only have an hour or so a day and just manage that hour or so of time if that's your writing time. And like where I'm at, I'm full time. So I manage eight, nine, if deadline's coming, sometimes 10, 11 hours a day, just to make sure that I'm accomplishing what needs to happen. I just, I tell writers especially, don't be afraid of the words time management or organization or discipline because for creatives, those are sometimes really hard words to swallow.
1: Yeah, Yeah. But there's, it's so important. I think sometimes the challenge is what scares me because like I said, I've had so many planners and I failed to use them properly. And it's just ingrained in us from like a school age. It's a like a planner is basically a book. You didn't finish the book. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we get stuck reading books that we don't really care for because that's just ingrained in us. But yeah, it is scary. It is scary. At least for me, I can, I'll could. i just speak for me to look at time management and taking on that challenge. And like for right now, the, the biggest challenge I have is trying to manage family, work, my job, the podcast, my writing. And now I'm trying to add like taking better care of myself, going to the gym and eating better and it feels like it's one more thing on my plate. Even though I know like logically this will help manage what's on my plate and organize it better, but just taking that step is really a big challenge because I don't want to fail on yet another commitment to work out or whatever it is.
2: Right. And I think that's one of the biggest things is fear. Fear can just really get in there. And again, not to keep hounding the word creatives, but for those of us who are creative, it seems like the fear factor is so much higher and we can beat ourselves up more with it. And also that failure, if we think that we failed at something, it's like, oh, I should just give up, right? (laughs) It's over, I'm done, I couldn't use the planner, I couldn't figure this out. And I hate that because so many people get discouraged and then they don't pick the pen back up again. Or they're afraid to get back in the story. They're afraid to do what God has called them to do, which is to tell a story. And the enemy loves to pick on our fears. And just personally, I've seen a ton of writers who who have dealt with fear in just this area. It's like, well, I can't possibly handle this. So why even try?
0: Yeah, that resonates. But I like what you said, that you can start small and that even if it's not your bent to learn how to manage this, that it is possible. That's encouraging to hear. Just keep trying and keep learning. Don't just keep you know trying the same thing, but learn different methods for it. That makes a lot of sense and it's very encouraging.
2: Well, everybody's different. So you find what works for you. Like for me, I don't know how many millions of different planners I've tried over the years and I know what works for me and what is specific for me. So I create my own. I use Levenger Circa notebooks, and so I just print my own and punch them and and make them exactly what it is that I need that doesn't have all this other stuff that overwhelms me like I'm never going to use that list or that list. And it goes with all of us with our writing style, how we work, how we read, how we mom, (laughs) all the different aspects of our lives. We're all different. And so I think it's really understanding that it's okay to find what works for you, and settle into that and not, don't compare yourself with anybody else. That's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to just live our life to the fullest for Him and offer up our talents and our time and our treasures on the altar every day and say, okay, God, this is for you.
0: Yes. Yeah. In the end, it is all about Him. Well, as we've been talking about time and regulating it, if you were to get five extra hours in any given day, what would you go off and do and with whom?
2: <laughs> five extra hours every day? That's just amazing to think about. Wow. I would say I would spend half of it with my husband and then half of it with my grandbaby.
0: Oh, uh, mm-hmm. yes.
2: <laughs> just to have extra time with both of them would be phenomenal.
0: Yes. Yes. That is one of the things in our lives these days. We get so busy that it can be easy to let the most important thing, which is our relationships, slide out of our focus. So, yeah, I like that choice. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Now,
1: is there anything especially interesting that you haven't covered in other interviews that you could share with us? Or perhaps there's something that God has laid on your heart that you would like to share with your readers?
2: As you were talking, Kylie, this is just something new and different kind of popped into my mind. The fact that you'd said you are adding things into your schedule and trying to find more time for going to the gym, eating healthier. It's very interesting because I talked to you about this. Last fall, I had just launched A Million Miles with Kim and just was very passionate about it, especially getting older, just wanting to move more because my job is extremely sedentary. If I were just to sit and write (laughs) or research or read all day, that's just very sedentary. So I started walking and writing. I've got a treadmill at my desk and just sharing that it's never too late to start. And it's never too late to put a little bit more effort into taking time out for the gym, eating healthier, honoring God with our bodies. And I have always struggled with weight. I have hormonal imbalances. And they found that when I gave birth to my son 27 years ago. So I've been dealing with it a long time. And again, my 50th birthday is coming up. (laughs) And I thought I just, I would really like to see if I can get healthier. I don't have to be TV presentable or model worthy or whatever, I just would like to get healthier. And I just would love to challenge people that no matter where you're at, let's do this together and let's cheer each other on because there's a lot of us who really struggle with this. And there's a lot of pressure from what we see online and in books and magazines and all of this to look a certain way or, and for me, I just, I realized I wanna be honoring the Lord with what I've got and I'm going to do my best and I would love to cheer others on and I am an asthmatic now, which is really tough (laughs) and breathing is a beautiful, wonderful thing and sometimes I can only go so far on my elliptical before I've got to take my inhaler again. Sometimes I have to walk slower than other people because I can't breathe. And it's one of those things, I'm just, I'm going to keep going. And so I want to encourage other people. The reason why we called it a million miles with Kim is the fact that a million miles is a really long way. (laughs) And I thought if we just had a bunch of people joining together, we could be holding hands on the journey and encouraging each other along the way. And in the reading and writing community, I'm sure you guys are well known that (laughs) we have a lot of sedentary reading is not normally an active sport
0: unfortunately.
2: (laughs) If only we could burn calories reading a book, right? That would be really great. So I wanted to encourage my reading and writing friends too, that let's just do this. Let's just have fun. And that's really been on my heart. And I feel like I've been so discouraged the past few months because I just felt so attacked by the enemy. As soon as we launched it, I got sick. I got sick again and I got sick again. And it's all respiratory. It was all in my lungs and I had just this horrible battle. And it's like, okay. It was one of those times that I thought, I just want to give up. I just want to give up. I'm done. And thankfully I'm on the other side of it now. I'm not breathing hundred percent yet, but I feel like I'm doing well. And my little team of people, there's more than hundred people who've joined me so far on there and we're just moving and walking and working our way to it. So I just want to encourage people that, you know, let's do this together.
0: Yes. I like what you say about, I feel like we can fall into two extremes. Either it's so hard and we're so exhausted with trying to make ourselves healthy that we finally give up, or our culture can tend to push us into this kind of obsessive behavior about supposedly taking care of our bodies. But at that point, it's no longer healthy. But just finding the place where you understand that your body is this awesome tool that God has given you, and it's worthwhile to take care of it. So you move and you just do what you can do. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be crazy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's go ahead and dive into talking about your latest release, A Mark of Grace. Ruth Aniston loves working at the El Tovar Hotel, nestled in the breathtaking landscape of the Grand Canyon. But life took an abrupt turn when she was attacked by a mountain lion, which left her physically scarred, broken, and angry at God. Originally serving as the hotel's head waitress, Ruth now finds herself behind the scenes as a kitchen and dining room supervisor. When money begins to disappear from the hotel, Ruth's entire livelihood is put at risk since the thefts seem to center around the kitchen and dining room. Frank Henderson wants to help Ruth, but he has finally succeeded in obtaining his dream job as the head chef at the El Tavar. If he offers his assistance, will he risk everything he has worked for? But as Frank wrestles with his growing affection for Ruth, both his career and his heart are in jeopardy. As tensions run high, Ruth and Frank must work together to save the El Tavar and forge a new path for their future together.
1: Ooh. So we're back in the Grand Canyon with the Harvey Girls. For fans of the series, what ties this book to the previous installments? Other than the Harvey Girls
2: <laughs> and the Grand Canyon. <laughs> That's true. So the setting is the Grand Canyon. and They're still at the El Tavar. And it's the Harvey girls, like you said, and Ruth, it's so funny because I had Ruth planned out to be the heroine of the third book when I planned the series more than a decade ago. And as soon as A Deep Divide, that's book one, came out, I've had readers just sending in all these notes, messages on Facebook, comments, oh, I can't wait to hear Ruth's story. And so it's fun because she's been a secondary character in the first two books and She really gets her story and we find out more about her in book
0: three. Oh, that's fun. So we've watched her from the outside for two books. Now we get to see what's actually making Ruth tick.
2: And she's gone through a lot. In the first two books, she has really been the mentor, the guide, the one who pretty much has all the answers, right? She's also Mm -hmm. the mother hen and she has to keep everybody in line and life has been relatively easy for her. And so when she has a crisis of faith, a crisis of her physical health, a crisis of her job, it seems like every aspect of her life (laughs) is Mm -hmm. in crisis, then she really has to deal with, okay, how am I going to handle this? And what am I going to do?
1: And how I haven't actually read the book, but just from what you're telling me, it's hard when you're like the big sister type mm-hmm. and you're used to taking care of everyone else and then your world crashes down and you have to say, How am I gonna take care of myself? How am I gonna work through my problems? And for those of us who are a little bit of control freaks, how am I gonna be vulnerable and let other people help me?
2: Yeah. Oh, so you nailed
1: it. And that's hard. <laughs> that can be hard. I
0: think she's going to be a I think Ruth is gonna be a relatable character for a lot of people because there can be such this tendency to have everything together. Life arranges it that we cannot ever have everything together, at least not for very long. It's important to come face to face with that. And so I think this will be a good journey for a lot of readers. Personally, it's really ringing home. So I may need to get a copy. (laughs) (laughs) I'll send you one.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So are there any alternative or
2: deleted scenes
1: that you can share with us?
2: I love this question. I actually had written a scene that was from the past. So Ruth is the heroine in the story. Frank is the hero in the story. They've known each other a long time. And you see both of them through all three books in the series. And they both are just great characters. I think everybody has fallen in love with them. And just we attach to them. We can connect with them. So I wrote a scene where it was from the first hotel, first Harvey hotel that they had worked at together. And one of the things that they do really well is they banter back and forth in mm-hmm. the earlier books, Frank likes to t- to pick on Ruth. <laughs> and it's really cute how they give and take and all that. So it didn't get included in the book cuz there was just so much that needed to be put in there. But it was a lot of fun I think shaping them and showing them a little bit younger, because they're both older in this book, and older for historical is 35, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, dear. we're old well, Because we tend to subscribe to that they married young thing, which they often did, but they didn't always. Right. So these two,
2: they're well seasoned, and <laughs> they've worked together, and they have supported one another and cheered each other on for a long time. So it was more, I think, probably for me as the author that I needed to write that scene and have fun with it. But it's just, I love these two characters. And it's fun to see that the readers have loved them so much.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a, it, what a great way to wrap up the series, too.
0: Yes. So what do readers have to look forward to in this conclusion to the series? Finally getting a look at Ruth and Frank from the inside. And what else?
2: It really is a culmination of so much within the series of things that happen at the El Tavar and the other characters. So, Emma, Grace, and Ray from A Deep Divide, there's quite a bit that happens with them. And then we have Julia and Chris that are from A Gem of Truth in book two, and they have stuff that's going on with them in this final book. So, we get a little bit of a wrap up for life at the canyon and what is going on because the canyon and tourism and everything is about to explode and there's about to be more and more things built and places there at the canyon because right now it's the elta bar and it's a very remote place still to get to and so it's seeing the birth of that and then the cole brothers who were real historic people. And if you go to the Grand Canyon, if you go west of the El Tavar, you can just take the little path down toward the Angel Trail. And the Cole Brothers Studio is still there, sitting on the very, very edge of the canyon. And I use them in all three of the stories because they were quirky, adventurous, wild, crazy, just. amazing photography pioneers of their time they were really cool guys i've got some amazing pictures from them and it's really neat to see the history and what they did for the grand canyon while you're there so if you ever go to the grand canyon make sure that you go to the cold brother studio and make sure you eat at the El Tovar because it's
0: phenomenal Oh, that's cool. It's so cool when history extends into the present and you can get a little sample of it. Having wrapped up your series at the Grand Canyon, what are you working on next?
2: I'm very excited. My next series for Bethany House that starts in September is The Treasures of the Earth. And I just got a peek of the mock-up of the cover. Oh my goodness. beautiful. The first story is titled The Secrets Beneath. And it's women in paleontology in this series. So I call it my dinosaur series. I love it. Following them, if you know anything about the Bone Wars, so it's 1869, 1879, and it's going to go through, the series will go through 1915 when Dinosaur National Monument was established. And in April, I have a brand new series coming out with Kriegel and it is Romantic Suspense. And the first book is 26 below and then in May I'm super excited my next series with Tracy that's with Bethany House That's our Kalispell series. I think it's called the Jewels of Kalispell and the first book is the heart's choice and We have some fun characters Little side characters that are going to be in all three books in that series and we're using three historic locations that are still there has backdrops. So the first book has to do with the Carnegie Library, which was built in 1904.
0: Oh, wow. That'll be cool to tour, like we were talking about, places that still exist, but as they were when they were alive and running in their heyday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a
2: lot of fun. I think we use the Train Depot, which is now the Chamber of Commerce. The Carnegie Library is now the Hockaday Museum of Art, but it's cool because you go up to the building and it still says Carnegie above the door. That's pretty neat. And then the third book is the Macintosh Opera House. And it sits above an old Western store that's in downtown Calispell. And it's not used anymore. It hadn't been used in decades. And I contacted the owner. And they were so sweet. They gave me all this history. And when we went, they let me in. And I got to go upstairs and see and take pictures of the old opera house. That was Awesome. awesome. <laughs> So, well, I wish I had a couple million dollars to do the historic oh. remodeling myself, but I don't have that. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, you'll just bring it to life in your book, which will be cool too.
2: And way cheaper. <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> Good point. Good point.
1: All right. Well, for our listeners, Kimberly is offering a copy of A Mark of Grace. To enter to win this giveaway, just check out our website, historicalbookworm.com. You can find that on the giveaways page. But also, in the show notes for this episode. And Kimberly, how can our listeners connect with you?
2: Well, they can find me at my website, KimberlyWoodhouse.com. If you spell my name wrong, it pretty much gets you there. If you go to KimWoodhouse.com, I think it still gets you there. And all of my social media links and other links are there. And there's a contact page. So I would love for you to join me and to visit me there. All right.
1: Well, thank you for coming on the show.
2: Thank you so much again. You guys are so great.
0: Now for a pinch of the past.
1: There is nothing new under the sun. I don't know how many times I have heard my dad say that over the years. I guess I shouldn't have been surprised then when I ran across a temperance association that educated children about the dangers of drugs and alcohol in the 1800s.
0: Wow. I knew about temperance leagues that you hear about them like passing out pamphlets or picketing outside saloons or lobbying for them to be outlawed, but specifically directed to children. I had not heard of this.
1: Yeah. And the research that I showed, it actually reminded me of D.A.R.E. Like when I was a kid the D.A.R.E. would come, the drug abuse resistance education team, they'd like come into the schools and give us stickers and different things. And all the older kids wore the shirts that said D.A.R.E. on it. But it sort of reminded me of that. And oddly enough, so this temperance, Association was called the Band of Hope, and it all started with an alcoholic Sunday school teacher. So in June of 1847, Reverend Jabez Tunnicliffe visited a young man who was dying of alcoholism. The young man had previously been a Sunday school teacher. He told the reverend, I want you, if you think it worthwhile to say anything about me when I'm gone, to warn the young men against the first glass. So Reverend Tunnicliffe reported this to the Leeds Temperance Society and in August of that same year they invited Mrs. Anne Jane Carlisle to speak about alcoholism to a local day schools Sunday schools and women's groups at the time some children at these events took pledges not to drink. Then in November of 1847, the first Band of Hope meeting took place in Leeds. 300 children from the ages of 16 and younger were in attendance. 200 chose to sign the pledge to abstain. The rest had already done so.
0: Wow. They must have had some pretty good speakers.
1: Yeah. And I think we'll go into more research. I think that kids can look and say when they see someone who's the difference between someone they know when they're intoxicated and sober. I think if you're as a child, if you're around that enough, you can see the difference. And it sounds like the Band of Hope was really pointing the way to a better life for these kids. So in 1855, the UK Band of Hope Union was formed as many different children recreational Uh, organizations joined together. They did more than just sign packs to not drink. They also taught about Christianity and the problems associated with drinking. The idea was to inspire children to live healthy, alcohol-free lives. They produced children's hymns, pamphlets, and magic lantern slideshows to support the group.
0: That, I, I mean, it's just we think that we're so fancy with showing our cool videos and presenting like this is what happens when you do drugs or alcohol. And this is the, this is how it could be for you. If you don't, you could achieve so much. Yeah, as you said, they've been doing it a lot longer than we have.
1: Yeah, it was really interesting, too, because they use the slideshows much like a PowerPoint in their presentations. And the Band of Hope also sent qualified medical men to schools to speak out against the dangers of alcohol and drugs. In addition to this, they held pageants, festivals, and competitions. So in 1897, Queen Victoria became a patron of the Band of Hope. As a result, many sermons on temperance were preached all over the UK. The Archbishop of Canterbury and Dublin headed this movement. While preaching in St. Paul's Cathedral, he said that the old command was due. The teaching of Christ is B. The Christian life should be one of ceaseless aspirations towards higher and better things. When an improved mode of life is seen, it should be striven for, and it is a sin to neglect any means of attaining it. Those are some strong
0: words. Those are some strong words.
1: (laughs) Yep, especially that last sentence. I was like, woo, any
0: means. Kind of like uh, really taking that passage in the Bible where it says, he who knows to do good and doesn't do it for him, it is sin. He, I guess he's pulling from that. He's like, any means that you know to do good and you don't.
1: Possibly. There are definitely some high
0: expectations. Absolutely, man.
1: Yep. And I mean, Matthew twenty six forty one tells us the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. But I love the point he makes where he says the teaching of Christ is to be, not do, but to be. Absolutely. I think that's. In general, is just a really good way of seeing seeing ourselves. At least for me personally.
0: Yes, it's about more than what you do, but about who you are, the kind of person you mm-hmm. are.
1: For more on the Band of Hope, you can listen to part two of this Pinch of the Past on episode 54.
0: Time for our bookworm review. The Debutante's Code, Thorndike and Swan Regency Mysteries number one by Erica Vetch. Newly returned from finishing school, Lady Juliet Thorndike is ready to debut in London society. Due to her years away, she hasn't spent much time with her parents and sees them only as the flighty, dilettante couple that the other nobles love. But when they disappear, she discovers she never really knew them at all. They've been living double lives as government spies, and they're only the latest in a long history of espionage that is the family's legacy. Now Lady Juliet is determined to continue their work. Mentored by her uncle, she plunges into the dangerous world of spycraft. From the glittering ballrooms of London to the fox hunts, regattas, and soirees of country high society, she must chase down hidden clues, solve the mysterious code her parents left behind, and stay out of danger. All the while, she has to keep her endeavors a secret from her best friend and her suitors. Not to mention nosy, irritatingly handsome Bow Street runner Daniel Swan, who suspects her of a daring theft. Can Lady Juliet outwit her enemies and complete her parents' last mission, or will it lead her to a terrible end?
3: Hello, dearies. This is Angela Bell, bringing you today's bookworm review. You can connect with me at my website, www.authorangelabell.com. The debutante's code would not pair well with a light cup of Darjeeling. No, indeed, dear readers. This cloak and dagger mystery calls for a strong cup of Earl Grey to complement the story's robust notes of dark academia and anglophile. Erica Vetch has once again proven herself to be a skilled writer, with a flair for capturing the details and atmosphere of a historic setting. Her words bring Regency-era London to life, juxtaposing grimy pubs and glittering ballrooms so vividly that one wonders if Vetch is in fact a time traveler, recounting her visits to the past. If you've ever wished Jane Austen had written tales of espionage and murder, then the Debutante's
1: Code is sure to be your cup of tea. It is 2023 already. Darcy and I have taken a little time off and we are ready to just dive into the new year. Before we get started on this episode, I wanted to mention that we have a couple of writer friends and some authors who have come on the show who have wondered about and asked about ads and we don't run ads. I personally cannot stand ads on podcasts, <laughs> but as a saver in the past, we ran a little kind of, I don't know if you'd call it an ad. It was just some a recording that we, uh, that we ran for free. For ACFW, Cynthia Ruktee came on and spoke uh, shortly about Storyfest. And so you might hear the occasional ad this coming year just sharing something that is solely for readers and um, we don't want an ad talking about toilet paper or snowboarding or the local cable company <laughs> but if you hear an ad you know or something that's not part of our usual segments that's what that's about also i went ahead and signed a historical book room up for affiliate link with amazon so all the links on our website now are affiliate links um we are completely independent. And so we don't have sponsors or anything. But if you happen to follow one of our links for a book from the website, and you purchase that book, we get a very small (laughs) something from Amazon for that affiliate link. So just letting you guys know. And Darcy, how, how has your Christmas been? How was your New Year's? What's going on, lady?
0: Oh, my Christmas was really good. It looked different this year with my sister in the Air Force. Mm. Um, my sister Leah, who lives with me, and I were able to go visit Molly and spend a little bit of time with her around the holidays. And then we also had a great celebration with my parents and my cousin who came to visit us. So it was different, but it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Um I'm excited for the new year. I love the Christmas season, so I drug it out the full 12 days of Christmas. But now that we're in the new year, I'm excited to see what adventures await and to hopefully get to focus a little bit more on my writing.
1: Mm -hmm. How about for you? I had a good, just a nice, calm Christmas at home with my kids and my husband. I did take the kids to see my dad in Washington, which was really fun. And I got to see my sisters and nieces and nephews. As for the new year, I've been a little too busy. I'm just trying to balance everything. I've never been one for having a word of the year. I just, you know, I prayed about it in the past and God never really brought one to me. But this year for a certain season, the word he's brought to me is a miracle. And we're going through some stuff at home with one of our kiddos. And I just, my heart has been so grieved I just keep having that word come back to me. And then the song by third day, I Need a Miracle, just is continually playing in, in the background of my my mind, so to speak. And so that's been really good. I'm just so glad that God is faithful. I'm glad he still does miracles. Something I notice is that when he does, it's usually because something very difficult or harsh has happened. And so I'm really feeling that right now. But it's a new year. And I just received some information yesterday that I was accepted to be on faculty for one of the Christian writers conferences, not ACFW, but a writers conference. And I'm really excited about that. And I'll talk more about that later when it's more official. But yeah, I hope it's a start to a great year.
0: Yes, and we are definitely going to be having a ton of fun interviewing a lot of authors. Our schedule is already quite full for (laughs) winter, and I can't wait. It's going to be fun.
1: Yes, it will. I'm so glad that our listeners will be here for those interviews. Thank you all for your support. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your prayers.
2: You've been listening to The
0: Historical Bookworm Show, where history meets fiction. For more information, find us at historicalbookworm.com.